Hello, and welcome to another episode of Reframe Your Brain. Starting with episode 11, Danielle Kent and I are doing something different. Each week, we'll be sharing conversations with a variety of people talking about what they're reframing in this challenging and pivotal time of COVID-19. If you want to share a story about something that you're reframing, reach out to us on Instagram at Reframe Your Brain. Working from home and the isolation of it, mm-hmm. there's benefits to it, but it's also really isolating and it is hard to just interact with people, especially coming from Baird School where you are in a social emotional behavioral sea yeah. constantly. Yeah. And then I went from that to being by myself with this phone and computer mm-hmm. barrier. It was really a hard transition back then. So eight years later, now we're all there. That's weird. It's weird. It's really hard. Like I talk to clinicians because I work on the help desk for electronic health record. Mm-hmm. And I've been actually asking the clinicians and staff I talk to like, so how are you doing? Yeah. Um, and it's interesting because the longer we're in this, the more honest people are being yeah. about how hard it is. Um, one of the girls that works with our autism group said, you know, I work with kids with really intense needs all day long. She's like, and I am more exhausted sitting in front of a computer six hours a day than I am working with my kids. And I think that speaks volumes to what technology does to us. Yeah. Yeah. And to really be aware of it. So, and I have a 13 year old girl who is desperate for social contact she's missing yeah. and she loves us and you know she, as much as a 13 year old likes to spend time with her parents she likes yeah. to spend time with us she's really like felix really like okay i love you but i'm sick of you yeah need my friends <laughs> and developmentally like that's the age you want them to be like <laughs> branching out and hanging yeah. out with their friends and like pushing boundaries and well yeah. and what's interesting is they're their generation that sounds so old but I am old like their generation I am I'm almost 50 (laughs) their generation is so technologically savvy and involved like her they want to interact through technology uh, to the point that it drives me crazy yeah holding back on technology like really like holding the reins her birthday was Tuesday and we got her much to my like I fought it tooth and nail but like, especially now, yeah. she, she kind of needs it. Yeah. Because that's how they're connecting. There's FaceTime, there's Snapchat, which I dislike intensely, but it has value to her. Like, I haven't the, used Snapchat. <laughs> it's to a parent who's worried about like what they're putting out in the world. It's mm-hmm. hard. It disappears. But like, and they count like all their friends, but there's also value in it. And then um, TikTok, which allows her to dance. And then all of, so there's online school, which yeah. has been amazing. I'm amazed at our district and what they've been able to accomplish. And like switching to what that looks like and what that feels like for her and as a parent. And then her dance classes. So she's able to connect with their dance teachers. Her piano teacher, who's 61, <laughs> taught herself with the, mu- the the piano teachers, like statewide, got together and figured out, like, how can we do this? Oh, cool. So they're doing it via FaceTime. Uh-huh. Which is oh. so amazing. So she can watch her play and they can listen to each other and talk. 
So there's all these cool ways that technology is bringing us together and allowing us to connect, like Zoom. Like yeah. I can telehealth conference, I go to counseling. I can stay connected to my counselor. Yeah. My daughter can connect with her doctor. <laughs> I can connect with my doctor. So right. it's all this amazing stuff. And yet, I think it also is helping us see the value, especially for CD and her friends. Mm-hmm. It's a way to connect, but it's not the same. Yeah. Like she said that and her friends have said that. Yeah. It's so interesting. Well, Adriana, will you introduce yourself officially since I turned on the recording? I think the initial part of your introduction was cut off. <laughs> oh, sorry. That's Adriana okay. Benson. <laughs> I'm Adriana Benson and I work for Howard. Perfect. Um, and I, I think what you were saying about um, the technology, like, it's it's so helpful and it's like how do you balance that intrusion of it kind of into every aspect of your life and you're like i i haven't worked from home this much in the past but i've had flexibility to do that and i'm realizing like i just am going to have to set some pretty you know rigid limits around how much time I spend on the computer because it, my eyes hurt at the end of the day. And I want to be able to do other things and (laughs) I want to be able to use the computer for things that like in my personal life I need to use it for. And if, if it's taking that much toll on just my, my body and my mind for work, then, you know, that needs to change. (laughs) But it it took a couple weeks to figure it out, you know, and I'm sure it depends on the computer and like, uh, you know, lots of different factors, but, and what you're doing, but the social piece is so interesting because I have a friend who's a preschool teacher and mm-hmm. she said, I haven't talked with her in, in a couple of weeks, but initially she was like, the preschoolers were so confused to see themselves on the screen and their friends. And they were like, look up, you know, and be <laughs> like, Hey, and <laughs> You know, there's like a grid of them. They see themselves. And my sister, who has a son who's four, was saying that sometimes it's really disorienting for him to see people he doesn't know, like kids that he doesn't know on the screen because he's like, doesn't understand why they're there. And sometimes she said he'll see like video of me and think that he can talk to me because he's accustomed to FaceTime. And it just to imagine like their little brains trying to figure all this out is, I mean, it's kind of funny. And it's also like, whoa, what is this going to do? Right. What are going to be the long-term effects of this? Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, and in a previous conversation um, for someone who I was uh, also interviewing for the podcast, they were talking a little bit about parenting and some of the like challenges along the lines of what you were saying, like you want your kids to be connected to their friends and it's, it's like, you don't want that to, you work so hard for that to not be the only way that they're connected with their friends. And so how, how do we like, you know, I don't have kids, so I don't have to navigate this firsthand, but I hear a lot of people talking about it. And for myself, like connecting with my own friends, eventually it gets, it's not the same to just see, you know, remotely. Um, There's something so distinctive about seeing people in person and the difference that that is. So 
Yeah, and I, yeah. I was saying to Sadie, like she's like, Mom, you just don't understand. Like I miss my friends. I'm like, no, like your dad and I understand. Like, <laughs> miss our friends too. Yeah. <laughs> like it's at a different level than yours is because you're like like little they're like putty, puppies and kitties. They're on top of each other and all over each other. But I mean, I was walking the dog on Saturday and ran into my friend and her family. They were fishing. And we were at a distance and talking, but like, I just wanted to hug her Yeah. just to see her and have a conversation in person just felt so good because it is so very different. Um, are there other things that you've been thinking about or reframing? Um, or is there more that you want to say about technology? I know you were saying initially that like working from home was something that you were already doing a little bit, right? And that the isolating aspect of that is something that like lots of people I think are encountering now. Um, but you can talk about other things if you want also. <laughs> yeah, I'd love to. Um, it's, been, it's been interesting because the group I work with, we're a pretty small, I mean, our technology group at work is probably only 25 people big mm -hmm. and a 1,500 person organization oh wow and the majority of people I work with that are in technology are technology people like they like isolation they like to be alone <laughs> and even they're straining and yeah they're feeling the effects like my boss and I were talking we have daily check-ins via zoom every morning and yesterday's we always joke around a little bit at the beginning but then it's like serious like how are we meeting the needs what are we doing what's going on and yesterday's was way looser and way more personal and way more jokey and he and I were talking at the end of the day and he was like you know I felt at first like it might have been a little bit of a waste of time of a meeting he's like but then I realized when you're at the office you're getting up and you're walking around and you're having these interactions with people all day long. Yeah. And when you're in a meeting, it's not just business. You're with that person and you're talking and as people are filtering in, you're checking in with them. Right. He's like, so I realized in that meeting that this was really valuable, that we needed to do this more often. Mm -hmm. And so I, th I think there's some really interesting lessons coming out of this. I really believe technology is a wonderful tool and this is a great way to, exemplify it like we can do online learning we can do all these things yeah we have been having discussions about telehealth at my work for two years now and my boss's boss said this would have taken three more years of meetings and debate and discussions and buy-in and he's like and we got it up and running in a week yeah <laughs> that is fascinating to me like the the pace at which things like you know that like switch flipped schools were closed like town you know the 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 governor saying like you need to stay home things changed and it really you know it highlighted for me like the capacity to make fast change is present <laughs> and we i like we have these organs just we build these organizations that move so slowly and and it's a lot of times it feels like it's just slow for the sake of being slow. It's not even that there's really like, there's, you know, people wanting to like be thorough or, or, you know, make wise decisions. And there's this idea that you can't do that at a faster pace. And that was just like a marvel to observe because I, I work in a bunch of different schools. I, 
I, you know, just a different settings um, that generally don't move quickly for any reason. And this was just stunning. And I, I just, it really like was impressive in a lot of ways that to see that those organizations could actually organize and um, produce some change rapidly, even though it was uncomfortable and it was messy. Like, yeah. I hope that that stays in people's memories more than like the things that didn't work out in that process, you know? The well, and I feel like that's also a really good lesson for, for me personally and for all of us, like it doesn't have to be perfect. Right. Yeah. You just move, you take action. Mm -hmm. If you think about it, like I spend a lot of time in my life thinking about things and analyzing them. And I do need that time to marinate and kind of make decisions that way. Mm -hmm. But if there's also value in just boom, yeah. action and re response, and then you figure it out as you go. And then I've really been working hard because I've been practicing mindfulness and meditation mm. and yoga for a while now. And really trying hard to find ways to tap into that and not being attached to the outcome and not judging. It's funny you brought that up at the beginning of this conversation like that non-judgmental piece. Mm -hmm. I didn't really, re I always consider myself, oh, I'm not a judgy person. We all, <laughs> we all are. And then like really not holding on to things and, and ascribing good or bad to them. Yeah. They just are. And when I can come from that place, through all this, I just, it is easier to ride. I had this great experience. Um, this is really personal, but right now, um, my dad was actually exposed to COVID and we lost a close relative. Oh, That's how my dad was exposed. Oh, wow. Um, and that was a really hard process because yeah, two weeks before he was telling me how it was just the common cold and he didn't know why everybody was flipping out. Mm -hmm. and then he had this really intense interaction and my whole family was worried about him mm -hmm. and then at the same time my parents are divorced so my mom has been kind of noticed more and more she's struggling with things and it really hit home for me in November and um I'd gone to the doctor with her and said I think it's time for us to like kind of be there with you and meet your doctor and figure out and we had done that and he suggested a, a brain scan MRI mm. and she got the results and none of us could be there with her. Oh yeah. And she didn't really, she doesn't really, my mom's very independent and she didn't yeah. really want us to be, but that's been really hard too, to, to really realize like, yeah, life is just going to evolve and we have to really just ride with it and deal with it. So I had gone to visit her in the fall and that was a real, that was when it hit home for me, what was going on for her. I was like, Oh, we're here. Wow. And my grandfather had Alzheimer's. Okay. So, um, I had taken out my kayak and it was super choppy and windy. And this is like this little ride atop kayak and she lives on a river and I was on the river and this, it was insane. Like that's the first time I've ever been scared on a kayak on the river. Mm -hmm. And I was like, okay. So I put my feet in the water and stopped paddling. And immediately I wasn't scared anymore. And the boat stopped feeling precarious. Mm -hmm. And I was like, that is a great analogy 
for where I am right now. Mm. Like if I stop paddling so hard and trying to figure out which way to go and I just put my feet in the water and let the waves come, mm-hmm. then I can deal with it. And I think that's a great lesson, not just me personally, but for where we are in the world right now. Yeah. Like I think that's how all that action is happening. Like people are saying, okay, like, here we are. So how are we going to ride this wave? Right. Yeah. And, and being able to even like, you know, recognize like things are moving so fast. Like, let's like put down, like feel the ground where we can, you know, like put your feet in the water so you can feel where you are to know what needs to be done or not to know how to respond to what's going on around you. Well, and this is one of the things I talk about at work all the time, because we were so, we're such a, we're a nonprofit. So, and everything we do is reactive for funding, for staffing, right? For meeting the needs of all these intense, you know, people, we clients and community we serve. And I'm always like, we're always talking about, instead of being reactive, it would really be nice to come from a place of being being proactive Mm -hmm. and what's really interesting is in this in this actual crisis our leadership team has been proactive which is completely bizarre because they're responding to this crazy situation yeah but it's not reactive and I'm really learning that lesson like what's the difference between reacting and responding and sometimes it's just that pause where you put your feet in the water and you stop paddling mm-hmm. so you can't feel where you are. Yeah. I love, I love that analogy. I really like that. I might borrow that and use it with other people. Because <laughs> <laughs> I go back to yeah. I go back to it a lot, especially when I'm feeling like I'm vibrating at a super high level. Yeah. 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 It's so, um, you know, I, I think it's probably very relatable. Like people can imagine themselves in a similar situation, if not that I, that identical one. And, you know, they, they can imagine what it feels like to have like the water moving around you rapidly or to be sort of that in that feeling that kind of out of control energy. And what happens when you like, you know, find your feet on the ground or put your hand in the water. And like those, those really, um, like simple, concrete sort of sensory, um, interactions that, that are probably things that a lot of people can relate to. So it, it, it makes sense. It would be something you come back to. I think that's like, yeah. One of my really, um, good friends, I've gotten to know her through actually Art in the Alley. I had uh, left when I was in between Baird School and the IT work full time. It was kind of, wasn't really a sabbatical, but I was doing a lot of art stuff in town when I was spending a lot of time with your sister. Mm -hmm. I met this really wonderful woman. We worked on Art in the Alley together Mm -hmm. and it was so fun. And she is this incredible human being who I feel, I don't know, sometimes you meet people and you just connect with them on this deep level and it's hard to describe how that works. Yes. I remember working with her on one of the events and we were sitting at her house and she had this brand new puppy and this old grumpy dog (laughs) and they were like barking and fighting and she was freaking out. I didn't mind, like it wasn't bothering me at all, but Mm -hmm. she 
turned to them and she said, hang on one second to me. She like turned to them and she sat there and she looked at them. <laughs> and I was, I grew up in an Italian family that reacts to everything. You <laughs> and they react. Like you look sideways and they react. So she turned, she faces it and it felt like to me like an eternity. I'm like, what's she, what is she doing? <laughs> what she was doing. And she was like, okay you're going outside and you're staying in here with me. And she told me I'll be right back. And she like separated the dogs and she came back and she was like, so calm. And I was like, there's a lesson in this and I don't know what it is yet, but it's like every, like as I'm studying, like trying to study meditation and listen and read all these different things, they talk about the, the pause, mm -hmm. pause. And it doesn't have to be this long. Like for me, the pausing is the agonizing and the analyzing. <laughs> <laughs> but this is just a pause where you look at it and then you can respond. And that lesson has carried over. And I feel like for me right now, that's the big reframe. The pause. Outside the technology piece, but <laughs> personal. Like the personal piece is like the pause and respond and how do I want to show up and what's really going on here mm -hmm. outside of my emotional reaction to it and then my analytical brain which is judging it and worrying about it and right. relating it and fitting it in yeah it's yeah this is a a really interesting time before I had turned on the recording I was telling you that one of the questions I sometimes ask people is you know where do you see possibility in what we're experiencing now. And I was explaining that, you know, I try, I was trying to, to find a way to ask that question without it feeling like it had any sort of, um, like judge judgment, you know, it's hard to ask a question without it being like leading or giving someone the impression of like, I want you to answer this way. Um, and that, you know, these, these examples that you're giving about like how this is an opportunity for you to sort of explore and reevaluate how you might um, respond to a situation, any situation is, is a great example of like the pot, like that, that is a possibility to explore. Um, is is uh, I, I like how um, like on the one hand it's very simple the idea of pausing and on the other hand in practice <laughs> I know it's from so personal hard. experience it's really hard yeah I when I was talking with someone a couple days ago about um, you know they were talking about their own like thoughts and how hard it is to sort of manage and sort of quiet the the running thoughts um especially around judgment in conversation with someone or reaction in conversation with someone and i was saying that i've learned like i might not really be able to do much about that but at least i don't say them all out loud anymore <laughs> and that's to me that's like pause step one <laughs> Like there's enough space between when the thoughts are happening and whatever I say for me to like filter and discern like what's, what's really needed for me to say at this moment, maybe nothing. And it's funny because, um, you know, with the couple of people who know I've been doing this, 
we'll be in conversation and they might say something and I'll just be silent, which is not typical for me. Um, not, your- <laughs> not my, not, not usually like I'm pretty I'm a quick responder. Um, but I'll be silent for like a second, maybe two. And they know they'll say like, Oh, that was good filtering <laughs> or something <laughs> like, <laughs> or something like, do I want to know what was just filtered or like, do I want to know what you didn't? just say because <laughs> now they want to know right <laughs> yeah. but it's a really great <laughs> it gives me a chance to think like well it might make me feel a certain way to say what was on my mind but it doesn't really need to be said um and I think it is like astronomically harder <laughs> to do that with um our own thoughts about ourselves or you know, about our own thoughts. <laughs> that feedback loop is so much faster. <laughs> it, it is. And you don't realize, like, I didn't realize how much the thoughts were driving the bus. I had this great moment um, yeah. in a meditation group I was in locally, which is awesome. And it's just a really basic. You go, you sit for 20 minutes, you walk for 10 minutes and you sit for another 20 and it's really calming and centering and there's some reading in there, but it's really calming and centering. And one of my moments as my brain was going, I envisioned myself like seeing the thought bus driver, like sit down (laughs) and like want to take control. And I was like, you don't need to drive the bus. Like I'm good. (laughs) Like I was like, (laughs) I like that that just popped in because that's what happens to me all the time yeah it's like constant and to have a break from that is really nice to be able to say like "Ooh, this situation is just this situation Mm -hmm. how do I want to show up for it that without without having the thought bus driver in there being like (laughs) well in the past when this happened we tried this and if you do this then this is gonna happen in the future and oh my god and my 13 year old daughter is constantly it's funny that you say the filtering she's like mom not every moment is a teachable moment (laughs) that's how my thought bus driver is constantly driving the bus (laughs) i love that (laughs) Um, (laughs) you know when you were talking it reminded me of um in another conversation one of the things that came up was and this was with someone who also has um uh, two teenagers who are a little older than yours but um because she was thinking so much about how things have been different with their family and how much more time they're spending together and just how different that time is than what it has been because their schedules are different. Um, You know, we were talking about like, what are some things that you've been doing or that have changed and that are happening now that you want to continue to have happen that maybe you've been wanting to have happen for a while and just never like were able to make that shift or maybe they're like brand new things that are happening that you wouldn't have anticipated but you want to maintain them as we move like into who knows what comes next but that you want to have those things present yeah yeah are there oh is there anything in my life that yeah uh, (laughs) 
Um, I would say, well, one thing I'm missing is, so when Sadie has dance or um, is off with friends, that gives Scott and I time mm -hmm. together and we're not getting that same time together. Yeah, oh, that's a good point. So finding ways to all be in the same house and have our own separate moments mm. and then find ways to come together in our different ways. Um, that's a, that's a big lesson. So we're learning how to navigate that. I'm yeah. a little more easy with when we're together because now we're together all the time. Mm -hmm. We don't have to be doing something constructive. We can be relaxing or each be doing our own thing. We don't have to be playing a game or right, watching right. a movie or doing this <laughs> task. We can each kind of find something to do. I pulled out my sewing machine to help. We're sewing masks in town, like somebody mm -hmm. part of that. I pulled out my sewing machine, which I haven't pulled out in forever. Yeah. And I was like, oh, oh. Like, it's not only a connection to my grandmother who really like, she taught me and she taught me by doing and by showing. And it really stuck with me. Mm. And like, that connection is really important to me. Mm -hmm. And even the simple act of sewing something as simple as a mask or a pillowcase connects me to her and connects me to something I love. And I have to continue to make time. I haven't been making time to do that. It was work and get Sadie to where she needs to be and carve out time for family time and carve out time for Scott and I time. Mm -hmm. Now that we don't have all these things to raise off to or these schedules to hold to, mm -hmm. we can really just be and figure out the things that feed our soul. And then, yeah, not having to direct everything and keep everything going. That's kind of a lesson that I'm learning. <laughs> but I'd like to continue. As that's, yeah, yeah, that's something that, you know, I can definitely relate to even just, it's just my partner and I in our space, well, and our two cats, but uh, they don't demand too much attention. But um, it is definitely a challenge to be in, in a space with the same people and not feel compelled to like be doing something or like interacting a certain way or that the time can just be, you can just be in the same space and that that is plenty. Um, that's definitely been um, an adjustment that it sounds like similar to what you're describing. And yeah. Learning um, to just be again and not, not mm -hmm. having to do. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's hard yeah. to describe and it's hard to describe in words. I can say how it feels. Yeah. And the shift, but it's hard to describe in words because we're still busy doing stuff. Mm -hmm. I mean, we're making three meals a day and cleaning dishes. And, <laughs> so you know, many still dishes. Laundry, still laundry and there's still gardening and there's dog walking. Like, <laughs> asking me to come in. Like, there's still that stuff that gets done. Right. He still gets to do dance class and piano, but it's, it just feels so very different. And I hope that can carry through. Mm. Be intentional or be aware of it. Yeah. Wow. Adriana, you have so many in this like 45 minutes we've been talking so many like just wonderful insights and examples of you know things you've been thinking about and 
I just such richness in what you're saying. So thank I you. I think this has been an incredibly um, impactful moment in the world. Mm. I so Eckhart Tolle, my friend Heidi, that's the one with the pause, shared mm -hmm. with me, and he kind of came across a lot of the readings that I, and it was kind of a nice juxtaposition because she talked about him, mm -hmm. and then she read his book, and then I've interacted with him, and one of the things he talks about is awakening and doing it differently. There's another way. He just had like a great little nugget that's called, there's another way. There mm -hmm. is another way to be. Mm -hmm. and, and this is, this moment is like our opportunity. Mm -hmm. And I can hope for the world that there is an opportunity. And it doesn't just apply to my, I mean, and I'm also, you talk about privilege, like mm. Scott and I are lucky to live in a rural state that's not impacted. Like my nephew in New York mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. was impacted or a family that was in New York state or New York city. Yeah, Like there's, we're lucky to be here. We're lucky lucky to both have jobs where we can work from home. We're lucky to be working at all. Mm -hmm. Like, so being aware of that and then figuring out how to, how to be grateful for it and how to pay it forward and backward. And yeah, one of when my friend Danielle and I, who typically we host, we have this, we run, we do this podcast together. Um, and one of the reasons that we started the podcast was to focus on like thinking creatively and reframing things, but also to like share that kind of sentiment and have other speech pathologists hear this idea of like, there is another way that doesn't result in burnout, that doesn't result in like, you know, these things. And and I think that the overarching idea is also like, there's a way of um, thinking about the challenges that we may be experiencing or just the experiences that we're having in a way that kind of lifts us all up as opposed to highlighting like, this is my struggle and my struggle is harder than your struggle. And I deserve or need, or I'm gonna take whatever resources I can access to make my struggle not so, so much of a struggle <laughs> instead of thinking like, what can we either do together or what do I have access to that you might not that I can share or give you or like, like you're saying kind of pay it forward or backward or that idea of like, you know, all boats rise. I forget the saying, but there's no, something, but about, think, yeah. something about tide raises all boats. All boats. Yeah. Well, and the difference between, like, I belong to a diversity and equity group at work. Mm -hmm. It's a really intense, beautiful group. Um, and one of the things we talk about um, is equity versus equality mm -hmm. and the difference in equity versus equality. And this really highlights, this is a global pandemic. Right. It's not just us. It's us, it is us personally, it's how it impacts us personally, but then how, how do we survive it? Like, what are the benefits to being a global economy? Right. And what are the downfalls and what do we learn from it and how do we move forward? And it's easy to get caught up in all the 
political news, mm -hmm. drama. And then how do you scale that back and take it in and then also tap into your local community and make a difference there, even yeah. if it's sewing masks or giving money to the Good Neighbor Fund or buying food for the food shelf or volunteering. Right. Like, and then paying attention to who's, who's out there that might need something that might not ask for it. Mm -hmm. I, I don't know. I think it's a it's a good learning experience for us, and I'm hoping to teach that to my child mm -hmm. by example, and to be aware of it, and to listen and learn and practice. And it's a ch I mean, it's global. It's a chance for us to do something differently. Yeah. And, and I think humbling. I'm hoping that I'm hoping we can move forward. I don't know what it'll look like. But. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there will be something forward. It yeah, but we're what that looks like. Who knows? I, no, and I don't want the bus driver to come in and try and figure it out either. I'm like, yes, okay. yeah. <laughs> like let's just let's just see what happens. <laughs> and I think, like you were saying, there's. I, I think that there is a lot of privilege in being able to, for myself too, being able to allow that to be the situation where like I don't need to resolve I don't need to be the one to figure things out and um I don't need to know what is going to be like I know that that is a lot harder that has been a lot harder for me to do in times when there's just been more stress in my life financial stress or like emotional stress and I can only imagine based on my past experiences, like for someone who is still working in the community or for people who aren't working, you know, how much harder it might feel to embrace that kind of perspective of, you know, let's not put the bus driver, <laughs> like to, you know, to not, to not be like, all right, where is the bus driver? Someone <laughs> needs to be driving the bus. <laughs> well, I, don't, I don't like, I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm so grateful for the many people out there mm -hmm. that are really good leaders. Like I'm so grateful for our governor and yeah. his thoughtful way of responding. He really, he's responding. Yeah. He's not reacting. He's responding um, to hit for him, for all the frontline workers. Like we have friends that are in the ER at Central Vermont Medical Center. Mm -hmm. That's an intense job. And already even, yeah and they're not even in like someplace like new york city where they're seeing mm -hmm. you know they're stacking up dead bodies or yeah dealing with floors of icu units like i don't yeah. know so it's putting ourselves and being able to see those different perspectives which i think is really hard for us mm -hmm. and especially given the culture we're living in right now which yeah. is hard for me can I share another personal story? Yeah, you can share whatever you want. <laughs> yeah. So when my dad was exposed, so my uncle Ralph passed away and it, it hit home to all, and a lot of my family is very conservative and some of them are pretty right wing hardcore, mm -hmm. which can be hard Yeah. because um, we don't always see eye to eye. So when this came down, two of my brothers, my dad apparently really wanted to come home. Mm-hmm. Um, which I get, he loves his family. My yeah. stepmom passed away almost 10 years ago. 
he's come through his grief. He spends a lot of time with all of my family, especially mm-hmm. the ones that live in Buffalo, mm-hmm. which is everyone but me. Oh. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> and and um, he like was ready to go home and my brothers were super worried about him. And he had a plane ticket and I was like, I dad shouldn't get on a plane if he was exposed. At that point, we didn't even know if it was official because we were waiting to hear the results. Yeah. He should not be getting on a plane. And my brother and I got in a knockdown, drag out fight. Wow. On the phone about that. Yeah. Because he would not, he told me, I don't care about anybody else. I only care about dad. Yeah. And it was it was really hard to hear that yeah um especially because we grew up very catholic and he's still very christian he's born again and my uh, automatic judgment is to jesus that i grew up with that i listened to every day in religion class and every sunday at church and all the high holidays mm-hmm. would be slapping your face right now because his whole preaching was <laughs> treat everyone as your name and i get yeah. that you love dad and i know i want to protect him too but at the expense of everyone else yeah and i feel like that's where we are like that argument and that debate that was heartbreaking to me i really grappled with that that was a good three nights of not sleeping wow um like <sighs> and not and then trying to let go of that judgment like i understand that my brother was coming from a place of love mm. and a place of fear mm-hmm. and that his his worldview is informed by the fact that he's an ice agent and he sees the worst part of the world every day. Yeah. And that informs him and his religion protects him from that. But his religion protects him for that as long as you think like him and look like him. Right. Right. And that's hard for me to grapple with. So there's all these big themes boiled down to my dad. And the fact that if you don't want dad to come home, you don't love dad as much. Mm. Even though he never said that. Yeah. Yeah. That's how I felt. And I'm like, okay, so what am I learning from this situation? I'm learning that we come from different perspectives. Yeah. I learned that I really feel strongly about this. And my, I, this is my belief system. And it's really important to me. And that's his belief system. And that's important to him. And that there was no way that what my stepsister and I said to any of my brothers were going to make any difference in the world. Mm. And that the die was cast and I just had to live with the result of it. And yeah, you know, it's like, that is, that <laughs> it is was so intense, intense. and it, yeah. it still is. And when this is all done, I have to circle back. And I was able to stay in a conversation. I didn't talk to my brother for a good week and a half or so on the phone because yeah. I was so intensely emotional about it. And when I finally talked to him on the phone at the very end, I said, so I just want to acknowledge like that conversation, the last conversation we had was was really hard for me. Yeah. Like that was really intense. And I just want you to know that no matter that we don't see eye to eye, I always love you. I I, I don't think I said I respect you because I don't always agree with his opinions, but I understand where they come from and I have to respect that. Mm -hmm even though I can be very judgmental of it. Like, and he said, well, we definitely, what did he say? 
we don't see we don't see eye to eye on almost anything. He's like, but I always love you unconditional. And it was a really interesting conversation to have. Yeah. Because it was kind of like we it's almost like a truce for now. Like, but I know that I, I need to sit down and have a conversation with him when this is all said and done. And yeah. for me, it's important to do it face to face to say like we need to come to a different place so we're not going battle to battle because that just hurts me too much. Yeah. I don't want to battle with you. Ooh. Yeah. Wow. That is heavy. It was it was hardcore. Yeah. And and really, you know, brave of you to be able to communicate what you were feeling in those circumstances, you know, and um how's your dad now? He's actually well. He's um home and didn't get sick, thankfully. And he's with my brother. And I think he's now in a place where he can mourn the loss of my uncle Ralph. Yeah. And figure out what's next. And he feels best when he can be with his family in Buffalo and be home. Yeah. And um, I think, you know, I'm grateful for that. Yeah. I, it's, as you were talking, I was thinking about, you know, how many, like we're such a, there's so much travel that happens in our world. And, you know, to, to think about, you know, as someone who loves to travel, you know, all over the world and, um, hearing especially in like the first couple of weeks about information that was being provided about how contagious this virus was or um the sort of where it was coming from and how it was moving which now in retrospect obviously some of that information may not have been as useful as it seemed in the moment um but it it has made me think a lot about the the just travel and what that how much we sort of uh, not sort of how much we take for granted how easy it is sometimes to just get on a plane and go somewhere and in this in this situation you know the effects of that like the situation you're describing with your dad, you know, may or may not have affected lots of other people. And that isn't typically how I would think about travel in a lot of ways. Like when you travel through airports or train stations, you know, there's a lot of like parallel movement, not a lot of interacting unless you're traveling with people or, you know, it's very, um, it's less common that people are really engaging with each other and it it makes me think about wanting to travel really differently with a lot more intention of like connecting with the people around me so that they really are people in my experience and not like objects yeah mm-hmm. um yeah that's a great way to look at it wow Well, that was, we talked about all kinds of things. 
Um, do you want one? <laughs> do you want one more? That's kind of cool. Yeah. Oh, I okay. love this. <laughs> so um, I work from home, and um, even when kids come home, they're so busy. There's mm-hmm. not a lot of kid activity. I grew up in a community and you probably did too, where everybody was outside and playing and running around. Mm-hmm. Kids just don't do that at the same level anymore. And it feels like we are lucky because we know our close neighbors fairly well, but we have a lot of neighbors that we don't know. Mm-hmm. And since this has happened and people are forced to be home, yeah, they're out and walking and they're riding their bikes and they're like I was out in the driveway working in the yard and two middle school boys, turns out they know my daughter, but two middle school boys drove by on their bikes and they're like, Hey, how you doing? <laughs> like people who I walk that I, I, I wave to everybody. Sadie's always like, mom, we stop waving and saying hi. Like, <laughs> that's who I am. Sorry. <laughs> you, I'm not going to change that. Like you'll have to get over it. But like mm-hmm. people are stopping and talking. Yeah. Like where they wouldn't before and people are out and I'm like, oh, we're a community again. So that's been something I really noticed. Mm-hmm. Like we're out and it kind of ties into what you were saying. Like we're not walking by each other anymore yeah. on our yeah. way to the next thing. Like it gives us a chance to yeah. stop and see each other. There was this interesting, I think the first, like, I don't know, first few weeks and especially when people started wearing masks, um, much more regularly uh we would go out in um on the bike path near where we live to walk and at for a while people would like not make eye contact it was like if you don't look at the other person you can't be you know potentially contaminating their airspace it was it was sort of what it felt like and i also you know i'll look and smile or wave because it feels really awkward to walk by someone and not at least acknowledge their presence i mean these weren't people I knew. So I, I wasn't like striking up conversation and it was like kind of my time to decompress after being on the computer for work or whatever. But, um, it struck me as so odd because living in, I think in a rural state, like we do, there's these ways of interacting that tend to be more like, like that where you greet people, that you see, whether you know them or not, you acknowledge them at least, you know? And so the fact that there was like an, a, a clear avoidance of making eye contact, not even like I'm like bundled up cause it's cold or something. It was so odd. And that has definitely shifted. Um, but it felt like people just didn't know what to do, how to act, like to be outside seems safer, but safer as long as you didn't like acknowledge there were other people in in, like you know breathing the same air um and I have seen that change and it it does feel more like what you're describing where um you know people are a little bit more social or I think also sort of starved for social interaction that it's like well anybody will do Well, and I, I'm, I also like wonder if part of that is kind of like we talked about earlier with like the kids acknowledging. Yeah. That there's a real value in human contact versus technology. Right. And I'm wondering if people are really realizing now that all they have is technology, mm-hmm. that there really is that value in connecting to the, to outside to the human beings that you walk this earth with. Yeah. Yeah. Some of, you know, hearing about some of the things that are 
have been going on in New York City reminded me of when I lived there. And in I lived in New York City for two years. And the first year, my sister and I and my ex-husband all shared an apartment together. A very small apartment. It was very cozy. Um, <laughs> and we knew one or two of the other people in our building um, because there were three of us. I think we like, there was enough accidental meeting of those particular people. But the second year I lived in New York, I lived in a different building, mostly by myself. And I really, I don't remember meeting anybody (laughs) in that building. Um, And these were like, you know, six story walk-ups, you know, so they probably had like a dozen, maybe 20 apartments in them. They weren't like skyscraper style buildings, but I just, it is really hard to imagine like that was isolating enough and to live in the city, any city, I think can be a really isolating experience, especially if you like grew up in a really different setting and to imagine, to know that like living in that kind of environment, there, there isn't a ton of interaction like there's so many people coming and going people moving in and out of the city like constantly that unless you're really in one place for a while it takes a it takes a lot of effort to connect with people in your immediate surroundings and i just have a really hard time imagining i guess i can imagine how hard it would be normally imagining what it would be like in these circumstances is just like crushing you know the the lack of interaction and then what you're describing like maybe it's not maybe like apartment buildings of people in New York City are like interacting with each other maybe (laughs) I know I'm sure it's a mix but um it just has had me thinking about like what this experience has been like in rural Vermont for me or in a small town and what it could have been like if I were living in a city um and depending on where you are in your circumstances. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And whether, yeah, there's so much to consider. You know, the first thing I thought of was like, how are people doing laundry? No one has washing machines. Like, right. Everyone goes to laundromats. Right. I actually thought about the same thing. Like there's so many things in a city that you take for granted yeah. that aren't in your building. So anyway, right. it is really when I've taken like a pause and sort of let my mind kind of think about all these different conversations I've been having with people for the podcast or people outside of that and my past experiences, it's really sort of, um, it's always surprising the thoughts that come up and, you know, things like this about laundry or, you know, (laughs) um, other like the first year that I lived in New York city with my sister, she had one of those like metal carts that you would like put everything in, drag it down six flights of stairs, go to the laundromat or go to the grocery store, roll it home and drag it back up six flights of stairs. And you know, those types of things that would have been really routine that you do like a couple times a week. Cause you have a refrigerator. That's like the quarter of a size of a normal refrigerator. Cause you live in like 300 square feet, you know, these things like having lived in those kinds of settings, it's like, how, how would that like, it really, you know, increases my compassion for people who are in those situations now. With no outlet, right? No other recourse. Yeah. 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 Right. Who can't just leave the city or, 
Yeah, or buy a bigger refrigerator. <laughs> or you could do laundry in your bathtub, I suppose. Yeah, I read somewhere. I think that is what a lot of people are doing. Um, yeah. So, well, yeah. Like you think outside the box. Thank you for this. I needed this. Oh, thank you. I'm so glad that you were, you know, you shared some really like personal and vulnerable stories about things that have been going on for you in all of this coronavirus time. And um, thank you for, you know, feeling comfortable to do that here. Thank you for providing a place for people to do it.